Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning, everyone. To those in person and to those of you online, we're glad that you are joining us this week at Sojourn. Uh, Being the church is more than once a week gathering. But if you've known me for any amount of time, you know that I love gathering with God's people week in and week out. And I would even argue that we need to gather as God's people. It's part of our ecclesiology as a church. The New Testament church says, and they gathered. So we don't define churches by just what we do here, but we do value this and believe that it is important to gather for singing of songs together of praise. You know, I maybe come in here and discourage and I hear the rest of you singing. Maybe I don't want to sing. And it just kind of softens my heart and blesses my heart. And getting to hear the word preached week in and week out um, you know, and sometimes we get guest speakers because you'd always want to have to hear me. <laughs> and so we get to hear the word proclaimed. doesn't necessarily matter who's the person standing up here. And uh, to pray for one another, take communion together. So I love gathering as God's people. Uh, we're in week three of our series in the book of Jonah. We've been looking at God's mercy and God's grace. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab them, open them to Jonah chapter 2. Once again, Jonah chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, uh, obviously you have the app on your phone or download it if you don't have the app on your phone. And we do have some Bibles in the back if you just want a physical copy and would like to open to Jonah chapter 2. We'll be there in just a few moments. Here's what's happened in our series so far, just as a little bit of a recap. God called the prophet Jonah to go and preach repentance to the great and wicked city of Nineveh. And Jonah, instead, he rebels against this call. He does the complete opposite and he flees the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish where he boards a ship. And scripture tells us it wasn't that he just boarded the ship, that he was actually fleeing the presence of the Lord. And so almost like the opposite of what we're doing here, right? We want to come in and usher in the presence of the Lord. Jonah was fleeing the presence of the Lord, but we saw that God doesn't let up on people so easily. We may try to flee his presence, but God doesn't just give up so willingly. So what does God do? He sends a storm. We see these pagan sailors get saved and Jonah is hurled into the sea. And then we left him last week floating to the bottom of the ocean as he's been hurled into the sea. And then it ended with a fish came and swallowed Jonah. So welcome to Jonah chapter 2. Think about many people's stories, what we sometimes call testimonies in the church. I feel like a lot of times we see that people hit rock bottom before they recognize their need for Jesus. Uh, Many of you have heard this story before, but I feel like it's such an impactful story that I want to share it again Uh, Many of you know that once a month we go and serve at the Portland Rescue Mission, the harbor. We're actually going not this coming Thursday, but the following Thursday. And so if you want to join us for that, I think everyone that went last time, we had some out-of-town people and local people and interns, and everyone was like, that was amazing. Some people said that was the highlight of their last, you know, several weeks. And so uh, we will be there again. But one week I was serving at the harbor, and I sat down to hear a guy's story. If you've been there, you know they love to share their stories And this guy shared his story of how he was addicted to uh, different substances and how he had basically been in and out of rehab and nothing had worked. And he pretty much was at the end of himself, the end of his rope. Uh, He had been in and out of prison as well. He had actually killed a guy in prison out of self-defense. And so I'm sitting here thinking, man, this guy is huge and he could kill me in just a minute. So I really want to be careful what I say here as I'm talking with this individual. That was meant to kind of be a joke, but um, everyone. So he proceeds to tell me a story. Here's what kind of what happened in his life. And he said, I lost everything. I lost my family. I lost my job. I was at my end of myself. And so he decided one day, I'm going to end my life. But I want to go out like in somewhat enjoying it. So I poured, he poured gasoline all over himself and he lit his last cigarette thinking, I'm going to take a few drags, enjoy this cigarette. And then eventually it's going to engulf me in flames and my life will be over. Well, he smoked the, the cigarette until he got to the very end of it. And I don't know this part for sure, but I can imagine getting like to the really tip tip and being like, okay, this thing hasn't worked. It hasn't done it. Finished smoking the cigarette and he thinks, 
Okay, here I am. Like he's reflecting on his life as I'm trying to take my life here. He took that aside that maybe life wasn't actually over yet. Maybe he wasn't actually to the end of himself. Reached out, called a former caseworker of his who instructed him to roll down the windows in your car and sleep it off. And essentially, if you're still alive in the morning, I've told this story before. You're like, what do you mean if he was still alive? I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't know. But kind of like, go ahead and sleep it off and just call me when you wake up, if you wake up. And so the next morning he wakes up. He calls this individual who connected him uh, with the Portland Rescue Mission, the harbor. Uh, he gave his life, I don't know exactly what point, but gave his life to Jesus and went to the harbor and entered into their program there where he was discipled. He went through their program. He's now doing really, really well from the last accounts of what they shared with me. But it wasn't until he found the hope in Jesus that his life turned around. It wasn't until he hit rock bottom and he had totally given up and was ready to take his own life that he found this hope in Christ. Perhaps you have a similar story, or you know of a similar story where it took you hitting rock bottom before you realizing that Jesus is actually all that you need, which leads to a renewal and an awakening in your life. If you heard this individual's story, you would just see the joy that comes over him of, man, I found Jesus, or Jesus found me, and I was done with my life. Well, this is where we find Jonah at the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two. Jonah's posture in the boat, if you remember, was kind of uh, lethargic, he was sleeping as the storm was going around, right? He's fleeing the presence of the Lord. There's this huge storm. Everyone else is worried. They're throwing cargo over. And what's Jonah doing? He's just taking a nap. Something had gone wrong in Jonah's heart in his younger years. He was ready to serve the Lord. We saw him as a prophet who had done really, really great things. He was like, I'll go anywhere, anytime. I'll do anything for you, Lord. And all of a sudden, we see him at this point in his life. And it's like, what happened? Something went wrong. Something called his heart to be cold and calloused. But Jonah is now going to experience a renewal. Jonah is now going to experience an awakening as we enter into chapter 2. Now, here's the thing. I know that most of us in this room have been in church for some time. Maybe our entire lives. But the reality is that we all go through these seasons of growth and decline in our walks of faith. Remember that journey? I know I say this every week. If you're going to tell you guys to start saying it to me, I'm going to keep saying it. That we take that journey, inviting people to learn what it means to follow Jesus. So we're also on this journey, right? And sometimes we're having a high on that journey. I call these a camp high. Like I was that kid in youth group, went to camp, and you're like, yes, Jesus. And then, you know, later in the year, you're like, what happened to that, you know, excitement? And we kind of see that, right? There's kind of these twists and turns, and something traumatic maybe happens in our lives, or something bad happens in our lives. And other times we're like, man, this is great, and just growing in the Lord, and I just can't read the word enough, and I can't pray enough. So we all have these. But spiritual decline often happens so slowly you hardly notice it. Until... Worship becomes distant. Attendance at church gatherings becomes sporadic. Maybe hearing and reading the word becomes kind of cumbersome. Prayer becomes infrequent. Communion becomes routine. And you put your walk on the Lord in neutral. In other words, you're no longer engaged. And you kind of look back at those kind of high seasons of your life and you go, where was that person <laughs> to where I am now? And you can't really calculate, right? And you might have friends in your lives. So I want you to kind of think about yourself, focus on yourself this morning, but sometimes you might have a friend in your life and you think, what, what happened? You know, like we were like pursuing the Lord together and now they want nothing to do with the Lord and nothing to do with church and, and you can't really calculate it. And I think sometimes it goes back to this idea that it happens so slowly that you hardly notice, that they hardly noticed in their life. Those of you who participate in the serve day a couple weeks ago, we did a lot of gardening at Vernon School. Vernon's got a nice big garden and sometimes a beautiful garden, but we, we pulled up that morning. We're like, oh my goodness, look at all the weeds. There's more weeds than there is plants growing. Well, at one point in time, it wasn't that way. At one point in time, that was a beautiful garden that didn't have any weeds. But what happened? Slowly, if unattended, a weed popped up. And you think, okay, big deal. It's one weed. 
and then another weed, and then another weed, and then another weed, until eventually we show up and go, man, there's weeds everywhere. Weeds have overtaken this beautiful garden. And it's the same way in our spiritual lives. If we go unchecked, if we don't, I know we avoid the word disciplines. We talked about that on a Wednesday night. But if we don't practice these spiritual disciplines, these, these ways of following Jesus, the same thing happens in our life. It'll be the slow spiritual decline where you don't notice it at first. No one around you notices it first because if you're still showing up to things, you're like, well, sure, they're pursuing the Lord. And what happens? A lot of times it'll lead to cynicism in your life. Sometimes it'll lead to resentment in your life. And unbelief will grow in your heart, in your life, like the weeds in that garden. But it happens so slowly that you don't notice it at first until one day you realize, man, I want nothing to do with this. And your friends around you, maybe your family are really confused and go, what happened to that individual? It just started out really, really slow. Well, this is where Jonah has found himself at this point. Jonah has found himself where until God sent this raging storm, a weed had popped up and another one. And he was kind of distant at this point from the Lord. And so our section opens up this morning. Jonah is sinking, right? I, th I think sometimes we like to depict it as the, the, the well or the fish, whatever was swallowed him right away. And it does kind of read that in verse 17. But the more and more commentaries I studied this week, most actually believe that Jonah was like, God probably kind of let him out there for a minute, right? If you've ever been thrown into the water and you're not a very good swimmer, or maybe you are, but just the ocean is just raging like crazy. You're just trying to swim. I'm not much of a surfer. I remember trying to surf in hurricane waves when I was in college and thought I was going to drown and said, I'm never going to do that again. All the really good surfers are like, this is amazing. And I'm like, I'm going to die out here. Poor Andrea. Um, I don't have life insurance yet. <laughs> I was in my early 20s. I have it now. You'll be taken care of. But, um, but you find yourself. So I can imagine Jonah was just kind of out there just kind of trying to you know, wail around and just thinking, man, this is it. My life's over, right? Have you ever had that moment? Like some of you have where, where you thought, man, death is flashing before me right now. And I got to imagine that's where Jonah has found himself. And then we find this raging storm that God sent. And so it opens up with, with Jonah being swallowed by this whale or this fish. So he's in the belly of a fish and he's praying a prayer of thanksgiving. Now, I can't think that's the first thing I would do, but I think it'll explain it. If he thought he was going to die and all of a sudden you found yourself in this really dark cave, which happened to be a fish, you would probably go, man, I am thankful for this, as smelly as it is, as, as weird as this is, because I've been saved and delivered from what was going to be certainly death for me. So here's what we're going to see this morning. I'm just going to kind of tell you what is it we're going to see, then we'll unpack it a little bit. We're going to see that Jonah prays to the Lord from inside the belly of a fish. And then he immediately recounts praying in the past. So he kind of looks at the past tense of how I've sought the Lord. And Jonah decided obeying the Lord was not good enough for him. So instead he took chances with God and the storm, right? Because he's fleeing the presence of the Lord. He doesn't actually recognize and repent. He just says, I'm going to take my own chances here. Right? Have you done that? Where you think, you know what? Like, in a sense, you wouldn't say this, but you've arrived like, I am God, or I am stronger than God, or I know more than God. Like, I know God's not opening this door, but I know better than God, so I'm going to walk through this door anyway. And Jonah told the sailors that his God was the creator God. So we saw this kind of weird form of evangelism in the midst of trying to flee the presence of the Lord as he shares with these sailors, like, my God is the one who's causing this because my God's the one who oversees all of creation. And Jonah knows that God can reach him on the sea, but he appears to be prepared to die by telling them, Hurl me into the sea. You know, I kind of wonder, like, if he had stopped and repented, would the story have gone differently? I don't know. We're not told that. You know, it's a hypothetical. But instead, he's like, just throw me into the sea. You guys will be good. You guys will be safe. So it's still like this hardness of heart of refusing to stop and to repent, to say, sorry, God, I've disobeyed you. I've been in rebellion against you. And so although it appeared that Jonah wanted to die last week by saying, hurl me into the sea, the prayer we're going to see this morning actually reveals the prophet really doesn't want to die. Sure, it may have been convenient in the moment. Throw me overboard. Let me, put me out of my misery, essentially. Let me go ahead and die. But immediately he realizes that he's in serious trouble. 
Have you ever been there where you made a decision and you realized right after that decision, maybe it is an area of rebellion, maybe it is an area of sin that you're thinking, man, because here's the reality, sin is like really, really fun, right? Sin is really, really attractive to us. But if you got to that point where you kind of cross the line of no return, so to speak, and then you're like immediately go, uh-oh, this is not going to go well. This is not going to return. Like I'm going to be in very serious trouble, right? You find yourself in the middle of an ocean with the seas raging around you and you're drowning, you've realized at that point, I'm in serious trouble and there's no one out here who can actually help me other than God. And so he is now, and he starts to recognize that in this moment, but always, he's at the mercy of God. And so our main point of our sermon this morning is that Jonah, we're gonna see this desperate recognition that he needs help from the Lord in the face of death. This is the only way that he can be delivered which leads to his, to his declaring the salvation is from the Lord and the Lord alone. And he commits with a thankful heart and sacrifice. So let me pray for us and we'll actually look at the text this morning. God, we thank you once again that we can gather as your church. God, I thank you for those here. I thank you for those watching online. I thank you for those who can't be here for whatever reason. God, we ask that your spirit not only be present with us, but you speak to us this morning. That your word would become alive in our lives, in our in our ears, and our hearts. God, that you would call us back to yourself. If there's anyone in the room, if there's anyone listening online who is fleeing your presence, just like Jonah was doing, God, that you would bring them back this morning. Because you remind them of your mercy and your grace and your love for them. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now remember, we see Jonah fleeing the presence of the Lord at the beginning of, the, uh, of Jonah, the, the book Jonah. Now he's turning to God in prayer. So if you're fleeing the presence of the Lord, you're not typically turning to God in prayer. But notice he didn't pray to God to save the pagan sailors, but instead he thanks God for saving him. So once again, he, he's kind of thrown out there, and he's been focused on himself the whole time, right? It's like he's... Um, ignoring his call, and he wants to make sure that he's taken care of. So he's still not praying to God for saving the sailors, just for saving himself. And Sheol there refers to the realm of dead, which one would enter going through the gates of, made of bars. And so obviously Jonah didn't literally pray from the gates of Sheol, but it comp he compares basically his near-death experience to dying. Because he he's certain, once again, at the beginning of this prayer, he's basically going, I'm dead, I'm dying, there's no way out of this. And so he's praying as if he is about to die. Once again, have you ever been there? Ever, maybe it was a car wreck, and you realize in a flash of a moment that something was about to happen in your life, you know? I think whenever someone's all of a sudden on their deathbed, we'll hear people all of a sudden turning to God. It's like in that moment, those who, who maybe were atheists their whole life or maybe ignored the Lord their whole life, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm, I know I'm about to face death, and so if this is real, I'm turning, right? And so I've had that prayer for family members in my own life. God, I know that they're you know, on the verge. I had an uncle who passed away of, of cancer not just a couple months ago. And to my knowledge, he never gave his life to the Lord, but I, I wasn't there on his deathbed. And so even my hope now is that, that he turned to the Lord in his moment of death. Psalm 30, uh, two and th verse 2 and 3 says, O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. So Jonah's having a bad day, right? <laughs> He's kind of started out this way. Like from the time he got on the boat, there's the raging, I mean, he's sleeping at first. At first, he's like, this is great. I'm taking a nap. But as soon as they wake him up and he realizes, man, I'm having a bad day, he gets hurled into the sea and he's thinking, man, I'm about to die. He's going deep down into the grave and it will be forever. But God heard his voice. 
Notice that God allowed him first to go to the bottom before he sent the fish. So it wasn't that God saved him immediately. God kind of let him out there. So sometimes I feel like that's how God works. Sometimes God will go, go ahead and rebel. Go ahead and do that. Try it your own way. And sometimes that's what it takes to bring us back to the Lord. He lets us go out. He lets us kind of flounder. He lets us feel like we're about to drown. But Jonah recognized that he wasn't able to save himself. So God took him down to the bottom where he had no way out and he was absolutely helpless. Once again, that's the prayer. that may sound like an evil prayer, but that's my prayer sometimes. God, do whatever you got to do in order for this individual to see their need for you. God, take away things from them in order for them to see that they need you. The thing is, we need that for our own lives as well. And some of us, that is our story. Some of us, we realize, you know, you'll hear stories of athletes who were on their way to fame and success, and all of a sudden they broke a, a leg or something, and it was done, and not, like their life was over. You hear these types of stories. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you felt completely overwhelmed? You tried to keep your head above water, but you just couldn't do it. The waves just kept crashing over you. The strong currents just kept moving you back and forth and pulling you under. And eventually all of your strength was gone. Have you found yourself at that place? Perhaps you found yourself asking, is this necessary? Like, I'm, you know, Jonah, once again, he was kind of ready to end his life. It's like, is this necessary, Lord? I'm just, I'm just tired. You know, have you ever found yourself? Life is hard. Yeah, that's the reality. I know some of you are still in your, your college age. That's probably like one of the prime times of life. I'm not saying it doesn't get better, but some parts get better. And other parts like, man, I really wish. I mean, those of you here a few minutes ago, Ben and I were pretending we were in a post-hardcore band. And like, that's when I was like 17 years old. And I'm like, man, going back to those places and with those friends, like it was just easy. Life was easy. I hear college students say something about how they don't have any time. I'm like, yes, you do. Wait till you get married. Wait till you have children. Then you will not have any time. I'm not saying don't get married, don't have children, but you have more time than you realize. But perhaps you found yourself going, is this necessary? And it was for Jonah. This situation was necessary. And it might be for you. As resentment towards God had built up like a hard crust around his heart. Very felt just kind of calloused and just kind of get this hardness of heart. Were you just not open to the Lord? God knew, and I think Jonah at this point is recognizing, it was going to take an extreme intervention to soften my heart because I was done. And so God does what was necessary in order to break the stronghold of his resistance. Right? I think about every time I go to the dentist, this might be a little gross, but every time I go to the dentist, I've got plaque buildup because I don't floss enough. And they're like, okay, next time you might need that deep cleaning, like the one that you don't want to have to get. And it's all that hard plaque that gets from all the sugar that I like to eat. Right? And so it's that same way. There's just hardness on your heart. And God knew that it was going to take getting that chisel and just chiseling away at it. In this case, it came in the form of a storm. It came in the form of, of him feeling like he was going to drown. And it came in the form of God sending a fish to then save him. And so I understand that some of you in the room, you may have had traumatic experiences, including bad experiences with church, including, including bad experiences with a pastor or ministries. And so I want to be sensitive to those. But here's the thing. Traumatic experiences, they often lead to long-term resentment where you ask, why did this happen to me, right? Like, this was unfair that this happened to me. This, there was some injustice that happened to me. And once again, I want to be sensitive to those things, but here's what we see. Once, once God allows Jonah to hit rock bottom, that's not the posture of Jonah's heart. It could have been, but instead of his, this experience leading Jonah into long-term resentment, what do we see? We saw that a sign of God actually working through these events. And so instead, Jonah continues his prayer in verses 3 and 4. It says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. 
So though it was the sailors who had physically hurled Jonah into the sea at his request, he recognizes that it was actually the sovereignty of God that allowed him to be hurled into the sea so that he could say that God is actually the one who cast him into the ocean. And so Jonah starts to recognize that not only was the fish an act of God, but it was because of God's mercy and grace, which is kind of the focus of our whole series here, with the fish, that now there's something happening inside of Jonah. So yes, he's inside of the fish, but the point isn't that he's inside the fish. The point is what's happening inside of Jonah while he's inside of the fish. Because from Jonah's perspective, from Jonah's understanding, when he's in the ocean, he's as good as dead. But God acts and allows him to be born again through salvation of the fish coming to rescue him. And so we see the Lord pursue Jonah with his wrath. Now, how do we know that God did this or he allowed this to happen to him? God made this situation so desperate because Jonah is so sinful that God knew and his providence, his sovereignty, this is the only thing that would work. Otherwise, Jonah was on his own path. And so it's really in God's love and it's God's mercy and God's grace that he allowed the storm to come, that he allowed him to be hurled into the sea and that he allowed the fish to swallow him. And as a result, Jonah now recognizes, I'm under God's wrath. Now, I want to be careful and kind of cautious how I say this, but we love to focus on God's love, rightfully so, right? I can't think about, you know, most of the songs that we sing focus on God's love. I can't think of many worship songs, Ben, that focus on God's wrath. Maybe we'll be the first church to write some, and maybe we'll make it on the news or something like that. But we focus on God's love, rightfully so. But it is often difficult for us as a result to, folk, uh, to visualize that our loving and good and kind Lord is one of this much furry and wrath, that he would cast someone to the sea, right? If God's the one that calls us to happen, then you have to go, man, yeah, I mean, wow, that's a really weird form of love, God, that you had allowed someone to be cast into the sea where they thought they were going to drown. Yet, this is where we see Jonah. This is where we find this rebellion servant experiencing the loving discipline of a father who does not wish for his children to err or to stray because he knows what's best. Let me read a couple of passages for you quickly. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Once again, we see the love of the father, but sometimes the love of the father comes through discipline. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. So if you're disciplined by the Lord because you're rebelling against the Lord and you're fleeing the presence of the Lord, be thankful because that means the Lord loves you. And it says, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Amen. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. We don't want that. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the fathers of spirit and life? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Can we get an amen? But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So what? Jonah recognizing that this is God's intervention in my life. It's because God loves me that God didn't allow me to completely flee his presence. It's because God loves me that God didn't allow me to go to Tarshish. It's because God loves me that he allowed me to be thrown into the sea. It's because God loves me that he then allowed me to be saved from being swallowed up by a fish. So one way to discern what's happening in your own life, in your own heart right now, is to ask yourself this question. Do you feel that God owes you something better than what you have received? 
Do you feel that God owes you something better than what you have received? Now, it's natural in a fallen world to look at our lives and to wish that we had something better and wish that we had something different. Maybe you wish that you had different giftings. Maybe you, had a, you, you wish that you had a different personality. Maybe you, had, you wish you had different opportunities. Maybe you wish that you had different finances and a different house. And maybe at times you wish you had a different family. Or maybe you just wish that you got to enjoy different experiences that others, people in your life get to experience. But what happens when we do that? What happens when we think that we're owed more than what we've actually received? You start sliding into thinking that God owes me something better than what I've received. And if you do that, I would say that you're making a mistake. This is what happened to Jonah, right? Jonah believed that he was better than Nineveh. Jonah believed, Jonah enjoyed God's mercy and grace. Jonah had preached that before. But the part of the story of Jonah is he didn't believe that the Ninevites were deserving of God's mercy and grace. The reality is they're not, but neither was Jonah. But in Jonah's mind, he's arrived. Jonah's kind of living the good life now. Jonah's on the bestsellers list. Remember, Jonah's the podcast we all listen to. But Jonah thinks he's better than Nineveh. He, he thinks that he has arrived past that. And so Jonah's recognizing here in Jonah 2 that he can't outrun God. Remember, that's what he's trying to do. And he realized, I can't actually do this. And so as a result, he's so desperate. And so he recognizes and he looks back on God's temple. He talks about God's temple again. So he understands, I'm in serious problem. I'm in serious trouble right now. But he remembers that God is faithful and he's a covenant-keeping God. And so his hope rests and lies in that. And so this is a reminder for us, this is a reminder for Jonah, that if anyone turns back from his sins, he will hear him even if that person is drowning at sea. And so we see that Jonah gives thanks because he's going under. Jonah is about to die under God's wrath while being driven out from God's sight. But then when Jonah repents, right, right, but God sends this fish. So Jonah repents and he knows that God will hear him in his temple. And this is why Jonah prays this great prayer of thanksgiving. That's really what we see. This, this almost fits better within the book of Psalms, uh, Jonah chapter two, as this prayer of his heart. And so some of you might feel so bad about yourself or maybe your life, or maybe something you've done, or maybe there's a secret sin. You just feel so bad about yourself that you say, I don't want to pray. I find myself there. I've been pretty transparent. Like I feel like of the spiritual practices, prayer is one of my, my weak points. And the reality is that's revealing something about my heart. What that says about my heart is sometimes I think I know better than God, and I think I know how to accomplish things in my life. But maybe it's because you feel bad about yourself, or maybe it's because you found yourself in a season of, of sin, or maybe you found yourself wanting to flee from the presence of the Lord, that you just don't want to pray. But the awakened person the reborn person, as we see with Jonah here, it gives birth to prayer. We see that Jonah was awakened to his need for his father. Jonah was awakened to his need for prayer, but he still has this posture of being unforgivable. And so maybe you found yourself this morning, or maybe you found yourself in a season where your life is just descending deep down towards darkness, towards death, and you found your response to be resentment towards God. Maybe it's a broken marriage. Maybe it's how you identify in your life. Maybe you have a disease or a disability. Or maybe there's just something in your life that goes, man, I just feel like life is hopeless. I just feel like I can't get ahead. And so you have this resentment towards God. But here's a common theme when that's our posture of our hearts. The common theme is that, that we're disappointed in God. That somehow God disappointed us. And by us not being delivered from what we consider a trouble in our life and trials. And so that might be you today. There might be something in your heart and your life that you go, I'm actually just disappointed in God if I just name it for what it is. I'm just disappointed he hasn't delivered me from this sickness or from this ailment or 
you know, just this thing in my life, or he hasn't opened the doors for where I thought it would be at this point in my, at my age and my career and my marriage and children, like all that stuff. And so you might have this resentment towards God because you're actually disappointed in God. But surprisingly, this is not the posture that we see of Jonah this morning. Jonah's found himself in the middle of the sea, and then he finds himself in the middle of a fish, and he acknowledged that everything that happened to me was at the hand of God, recognizing it was actually his own fault. That it was the grace of God that allowed these things to happen, but it's actually my fault. And so when you think about the big picture of sin, right? None of us deserve to even be alive this morning. None of us deserve the salvation that God offers us. And so when you look at the big picture of life and you kind of recognize that, man, anything that happens to me, in a sense, it's, it's my own fault. Anything that doesn't happen to me, it's because of the grace of God in my life. We'll probably speak through these next couple of verses. Verse five says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Now, contrary to the cartoon depictions of this story, even I think our own here, like Jonah, I don't think was swallowed right away. I think God allowed him to struggle as we've already noted. This allowed Jonah to think through the seriousness and consequences of what he had chosen in his rebellion. Jonah had the right doctrine, but his heart was not in the right place. Right? I think that's the danger of growing up in the church. I think that's the danger of going to seminary. Like that. You can have the right answers. You can have the right doctrine. You can argue your way through it, but you may not have the right heart. Your heart may not be in the right place. Clearly, Jonah's heart was not in the right place. And I think Jonah on paper would have said, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. You name the time, you name the place. Right? I can see Jonah saying that, speaking at a conference that we all would flock to. And then God says, go to Nineveh. And he's like, yeah, right, God. I'm not going to go there. Verse 6, at the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. And so his descent here, it's almost like death is complete. All right, like he's got that last moment as he reaches, it says, to the roots of the mountains at the bottom of the sea where the gates of Sheol are located. So it's like he sees death. He's on the brink of death here. In other words, Jonah's at a place in the water where it'll likely overtake him. It says that the billows were overtaking him, right? I don't know if you've ever, like I said, if you've ever had an experience where you thought you were going to drown. I remember one time some little kid sat on my head and like dunked me under, was on my shoulders. I just remember being like, this is it. I'm dead. I can't get this cat off of me. Nobody knows I'm underneath the water here. And so I can, you know, that's the closest thing I can relate to Jonah. But if you've ever had that moment, like, okay, you come up, you need air. He's thinking, man, this is it. The gates of Sheol are there. I am as good as dead. But he gives death because he knows, he gives thanks because he knows death is certain. There's no escaping it. And Jonah had done nothing deserved being rescued. But his salvation was by grace alone. Once again, think about the story told at the beginning. Many testimonies, many stories recount people hit near rock bottom before coming to Christ. Why is this? Why is it that it takes us getting to the end of ourselves? Why is it that it takes the posture of hitting rock bottom our lives before we recognize our need for Jesus? As Eric Redmond points out, he says, It is before we hit rock bottom, we think we can handle being thrown into the sea. Once we actually hit the rough waters and start drowning... Once all of the things that masked how bad life is are gone, then we are at a place where we must cry out to God or perish. God does this to us so that we will stop lying to ourselves about what is going on in our lives. I think that is why most of us have to hit rock bottom before we recognize our need for Jesus. And so sojourn, before Jesus came to deliver us, our deaths, like Jonah's, were also certain. There was no escaping it. We were on our way to Sheol. We, like Jonah, were in distress and we were drowning without hope. We were going down and we were drowning without hope as we headed towards eternal death. There was no swimming our way out of it. There was no figuring it out. And like Jonah, we did nothing, absolutely nothing to deserve being rescued. But the offer of salvation to each of us, like Jonah, is by grace alone. 
that God offers us this salvation. And so verse seven, Jonah says, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah again returns to the temple of the Lord. He hears his prayers and he sends his fish to deliver him. Now this is evidence for us too that it's never too late to repent and turn to the Lord, right? He's on the brink of death here, guys. And he returns to the Lord. And so don't ever think that it's too late for you. Those at home, don't ever think that it's too late for you. That God is giving you his mercy and his grace. The fact that you're alive this morning that the fact that you can hear this message this morning is evidence that God loves you and that God is calling you back to himself. I've met some people this summer. I've heard some stories this summer. And I'm like, this is evidence of God working in their life. I don't know if they see it yet, but I see it and it excites me because I love it when I can sense the Lord is working and moving in someone's heart and life. And so whoever you are this morning, you have the opportunity even today to stop running from God and turn towards God and embrace his grace of the loving father that we have. Verse 8 and 9, it says, Those who, who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so those who pay vain, regard to vain idols, he's referring back to the sailors who had prayed each to his own God in, in chapter 1 in the beginning, but it's also a message to Jonah's idolatrous fellow Israelites. But what we see here is that when life is stripped away, Every prop that we put up, every facade that we put up that projects our sense of happiness, right? We like to do that. We like to be posers and pretend that life is great and life is grand. When all those are stripped away, which if you're in the middle of the ocean, <laughs> nothing else that you have in life at that moment matters, is when you can truly realize the Lord is the most important thing in your life. And so what we see here is that repentance means change. Change in what you think, change in what you desire, change in what you do and say, which is evidence of God working in your life. When you say, what is the evidence of an authentic faith? The scripture refers to this thing called fruit. And that's it. It's not that you pulled up your bootstraps to do it yourself. It's that God is working in your heart and your life. Your heart, he chiseled away all that hardness, all that crustiness. You've got the shiny white teeth now when you come home from the dentist. That God has done that to your heart and that now your heart has changed. You start living differently. You start acting differently. And it's evidence of your faith. Jonah said, salvation is from the Lord. That's a strong statement. And with that one statement, what Jonah does is he undid what he wouldn't, or, or he did the opposite of what he wouldn't do in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, where he fled the presence of the Lord. And just said he declares salvation is from the Lord. And this is the confession of Jonah's heart, that God is sovereign, and that salvation comes from him. And that through the rest of the story, God will show that Jonah believes God is free to save anyone. And all of us are in need of the salvation. Now, we don't offer animal sacrifices, refers to the temple here, right? We're looking at the Old Testament Christ has fulfilled the law of that sacrifice, but now we, his children, are living sacrifices. And so in response to our salvation today, what do we do? We produce good works. But once again, not in and of ourselves. It's God working through us. And so what does that look like? It looks like sacrificing our time. It looks like sacrificing our, our energy and our money and our potential promotions and worldly approval, that we do everything geared towards looking more like Jesus. And sometimes that might mean going to Nineveh and not going to a place that we rather would go and so if we are as thankful as Jonah, we thank the Lord for his mercy and we tell everyone else about God's mercy and grace, right? This idea of the Great Commission, we've gone every single week that we too have been given the same type of call that Jonah has been. It may not be specific. God may have not written into the check yet on the memo on where it is that you are to go. That means go right where you are right now. Go to your neighbors, go to your family, go to your coworkers, go to your friends and proclaim this message of God's mercy and grace because we too were desperate when we were apart from Jesus, and we were on our way to, uh, to a certain death, which is what causes Jonah to cry out, salvation is from 
the Lord. And the good news that God doesn't ask us to change so that we can come to Christ. Instead, what he does, he invites us to come to Christ so that we can change. And that you will change if you come to Jesus. I've had people ask me, well, are you going to make me change this about my life? I identify this way or I do this. Are you going to make I'm like, I'm not going to ask you to do any of that stuff. But I guarantee you that when you join this journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus, if you're actually taking that journey and taking it seriously, you will change. Not because I'm going to ask you to change. Not because Sojourn's going to ask you to change. You know, we don't ask you to leave your sin at the door. We ask you to come as you are, as, as Jesus welcomes you. But I guarantee you that Jesus, through his spirit, will change you. And finally, verse 10. It says, and the Lord spoke to the fish. Isn't that funny? Like God can speak to creation. <laughs> you ever thought, man, God's speaking to my dog right now? <laughs> and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Right? You, you got to imagine he needed a shower at this point. And so we started this section with Jonah at the bottom of the sea. And as he's going down, he cries out to the Lord from the grave. And three days later, with thanksgiving, Jonah's brought up out of the water. Later. Jesus goes to the grave and takes all the wrath of God for us. Three days later, with thanksgiving, God raises Christ from the dead because the grave could not hold him down. That's when we say amen. And on this basis, the Lord is able to offer us and our city and the nation and our world his mercy and his grace. God's mercy is so great that he hurled Christ into the depths of Sheol so that we wouldn't have to go there. He was the one who was forsaken for our rebellion. He was the one who was forsaken so that we could be saved. And the second chance that God offers us, it was, or it was not just to Jonah. God offers the same thing to us. He offers us, all, it's like God throws this life raft to us, or God gives us all these, these big fish to swallow us from our sin, our death, our shame, our guilt. And God seeks to save people who are drowning in their own sin by sending his son, Jesus. He says that anyone who trusts in his mercy, anyone who trusts in his grace will be like Jonah. We will be born again out of our distress, born again to a new life. That is what God is offering us this morning. That is what God is reminding us through the story of Jonah. It's not about Jonah. It's about Jesus. And it's about Jesus' mercy and grace in our lives. And this is for those of us who are in Christ. This is what calls us to be thankful. We see Jonah has a thankful heart here. Still hasn't repented, but he's got a thankful heart here. And so this is what she calls us to be thankfulness this morning. So here's how we're going to respond, church. One is salvation. If you've never given your heart, you've never given your life over to Christ, whether you're online this morning, whether you're in the room this morning, turn and trust Jesus. And you might say, well, how do I do that? Second way we're going to respond this morning is prayer. I'm going to be in the back. And so if you go, I don't know how to do that and I need to do that. If you're online, I'll pull it up on a different device and we can chat and get to a private chat and help you figure that out. Or if you need something else that you just need prayer for. If you need prayer for a family member or there's a sickness or something going on, I'll be back there. I'd love to pray with you. Third way we're going to respond is through worship and song. Ben and Elena are going to come back up. And think about this thankfulness that Jonah's experiencing, his thankfulness for his salvation. So now that we are, oh man, this is what we're, we're singing. We're not just singing words that are up here on the, on the sheet here, but we are singing a song of praise and thanksgiving, just crying out for thankfulness. Be reminded again, you didn't deserve your salvation. The thing that we want to proclaim to other, God's called, you did not deserve it. And so sing with a worshipful heart. Sing with a thankful heart this morning. And then we're going to worship through giving. We don't talk about giving a lot here at the church, but I think sometimes we need to be reminded of that, that as a church, we just want to be generous. We want to be generous with our time. We want to be generous with our, our talent. We want to be generous with our treasure. And so part of that is time that, you know, some people sacrifice and give up time to help set up. Some of that is talent. People, people play music, um, instruments and do stuff with kids and sing songs. And we also want to be generous with our treasure. You know, people have commented even for a church our size, man, you guys are able to help people do this. You know how we're able to do that? 
because of your generosity. That's how we're able to help our community. So that's the fourth way that we're going to respond this morning. So let me pray for us, and then we'll respond. God, we thank you again for your salvation. God, that we did not deserve. God, we were like Jonah. We were drowning apart from you in our own sin, our own mess of life. And so, God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to save us. God, I pray for anyone this morning who's tuning in or anyone who's in the room who feels like they're not right with you. God, that they would take that opportunity today. God, I pray for anyone who who just needs to be reminded of their thankfulness for the salvation that they have in you. Maybe they've forgotten that, God. That they too would just sing out these songs of praise in a way they've never done before. And God, I pray that our generosity of our time, our talent, our treasure, our lives would be a way that's an act of worship to you, not out of religious duty. It's in your name, by your power, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.